0: Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. It's Wood Talk, number 131, for May 8th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about restoring a cup tabletop, a box for severed fingers. Did I read? Yeah, I read that right. A box for severed fingers. Using router bits with shapers, T-slot miter bars, compact table saws, bevel angles for bevel-down planes, joiner options, dado blade safety, and designing difficulty. But before we get to all that, let's hear from our sponsor. Not plural, sponsor. Today's show is supported by Festool. Helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com.
1: There you go. Sponsor. Um, Well, that means that we have more time now to do a little extra chatting then. Okay. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, not too bad. How about you? I don't know. Wish we had a second sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean I, I feel like there's an empty void and it so, needs to be filled
0: It goes way too fast uh, well hey how about we mention that email subscription that they can do If they go to uh, woodtalkshow.com on the left hand side you'll see a little link So if you want to get notifications for when any woodtalk shows become available You can get that right in your inbox which is kind of cool So just uh, sign up at woodtalkshow.com Yeah There you go um, will not miss the thing Nope not a tang. All right let's jump into it so what's on the bench
2: Shannon? Well, it's funny because I finally got around to listening to um, your, um, I think it was a Guild interview of Mm -hmm. Charles Brock. Yeah. Um, And he spent, you guys, I should say, spent a fair amount of time talking about hard and soft lines and those kind of Maloof-inspired chairs. Right. And, man, that's fun. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I've been shaping the edges of this drop-leaf table and I've gone all kind of warm, fuzzy on this table with mm-hmm. butterfly inlays and you know embracing the wood and live natural edges and all that stuff very different from anything I've really ever done before and man it's fun. Cool. I just started shaping the edges and what I wanted was the a, a transition from a hard line along the bottom of the ends that that hard line moves and transitions up to the top edge on the on the long edges. So you get this kind of cool S curve shape mm-hmm. on that Dark shadow line as it moves around the corner, and um, it's just one of those things where you throw out all the engineering stuff and you just become like sculptor, just you and your spoke shave. Right. And uh, it, I mean, <laughs> we get a little wax philosophical about a hand tool work anyway. I try not to get too far off the deep end, but yeah, you know, I just had the music on. There was just shavings kicking up everywhere. I was almost late to this because I was having a <laughs> wee bit too much fun. But man. That's just awesome. I can under. I can't wait to finally get my button gear and build one of those Malouf chairs. Mm-hmm. Problem is, I, I have a feeling I'll never finish it because I'll just like keep finessing it. Well, just take a little bit off here, a little bit here. Or a couple years will go by and this thing will be
1: just barely held together because it'll be like two picks, <laughs>
0: super thin. You just keep working it down. It's, it's <laughs> so just you, such you a You look at the left thing. and you're
1: like, it needs just a little more. Wait, no, okay, it almost <laughs> matches the right. Let me, let me glue oh, more back, back on now. Yeah, All right. It is, oh, it God, is tear out. Damn, super, super satisfying.
0: It yeah, and it, once once it starts to work – and you, I mean, as a musician, you you can probably relate to this that there's a point when you stop reading music um, from sheets and you start actually just playing music, um, and yep. you don't need to think about it too much. It just happens, and it's very similar in, in certain aspects of woodworking where you just don't have to think about it. You just you just let your hands do the work.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of that Zen moment I was mm. having about 30 minutes ago. Nice, that's awesome. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's okay. It was a, uh, I was, I was probably getting a little obscene down there. You needed a break from it. I need, I needed to break myself away from the hard and soft line. Get a
0: room, cause...
1: you two. <laughs> <laughs> Do love me some spoke shave. Nice. All right, Matt. What's going on? Well, really, the, the big thing uh, recently, of course, was during Safety Day. I posted the video of me setting off my saw break, which let me tell you something, the the past six months or so that I've had the saw stopped down at the shop, I have wanted to fire that thing off so many times just to do it. Yeah. And it was it was so much fun. It, as anybody that's seen the video, uh, we had a little footage from where I asked my wife to come down. In fact, my my wife and my son were both down there just to see it, and it was so funny because I don't know whose uh, <clears throat> reaction was better theirs or mine. Because <laughs> I mean, as it, the video shows, my wife pretty much jumped from. It. I don't think she was an- anticipating it, but I still. I almost had to go change my pants, even though yeah. I knew it was coming. <laughs> well, that thing is loud. I've never heard it myself, but every video
0: I hear, you you can tell that that is like, it's like a bullet or a gun going off in, in your shop.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, you can even hear with the microphone, it pretty much leveled it right out there, cut it off, and then it came right back on again. And I still had to do that like two, in fact, I did it three times total. And each time it never, even though I knew it was coming, even though I anticipated it, I never got used to it. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Was it was pretty cool, and it's it's also pretty neat because I have completely put the rest. Of the possibility of me ever reusing one of those blades once it gets jammed in there, it, <laughs> it's not coming out. There's no way in the world it's coming out, and if it does, um, it's just going back up on the wall. There's no way in the world I'm going to reuse it. <laughs> Did
0: you have like a sacrificial blade? I mean, what blade was worthy of of knowingly ruining it?
1: Well, the the main one that I ended up using first was the uh, combination blade that comes standard with the saw. Oh, okay. And then we had already talked about it, we being me and SawStop about, you know, we're going to fire this off. Can you send me maybe a couple extra demo breaks so that we can really do this, you know, and and demonstrate a couple of different things. So they were nice enough to oblige me with a couple extra breaks. And they also sent me uh, a couple extra blades, too.
0: Nice.
1: uh, that was, in fact, one of them was their titanium blade, and it was so funny because there was that part of me that's like, well, maybe I'll just run to Home Depot and maybe get one of those nine dollar <laughs> blades, right, so I nice can keep Freud this one.
2: Seven dollar deal.
1: Yeah, is <laughs> hmm, this go to a garage? You know, a garage sale, and be like, hey, how much is this? Two dollars. Mm-hmm. Can you get it for a dollar? <laughs> nice. There you go. Um, so
0: when when it when it slams down, yes. the amount of force that 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 happens was th- does
1: it ever even potentially knock things out of calibration when that happens? You know, it's a good, That's a good question. I really should have checked it, but when I actually, I just did some cutting just recently this week and it's now been just over a week, week and a half since, um, I, I did that. I did check to make sure that things were still like when I, when I bring it up, I mentioned before that, you know, when, it, when I hit the 90 degree mark, it is at 90 degrees. And hmm. when I just checked the other day, it was so that's cool. The 45 degree, the bevel angles, everything. It, it seems to be exactly where it's supposed to be. So yeah, it, it, it holds up pretty good, that's, actually.
0: That's good because a lot of times things like that—if you think about, like, um, you know, safety things in vehicles, like a child's uh, car seat or uh, airbags—you know, when these catastrophic things happen, mm-hmm. those are not reusable. You know, <laughs> like you, right. need, you can't just tuck that thing back in and be like, "All right, next time." Uh, same thing with a car seat. You know, once it's in an accident, it's done. Um, but the thing that, that 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 can fire off with that much force, but then still be calibrated and then you just load up a new brake, a new blade, and you put a band-aid on your finger and you move on.
1: Pretty exactly. Good. Yeah. I, I was I was still in awe of it. And there's that part. It was funny because actually the other the first time I went to use it after I set off the brake, I completely forgot to push the uh the start button back into the right position that you would normally have it yeah. when you power it up. And suddenly I noticed the the lights were going off, and I'm like, aha, there is something wrong with this. There's, it it <laughs> set something off, and they're going to have to come in and take care of it. And then once I looked at it, because it has a flashing code, there's a green and a red light, and it keeps flashing back and forth. And I looked up in the manual what that code meant, and it said push in start button. I'm like, oh. And as soon as I did that, uh, the next time I pulled it out, it worked. So I was like, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Very nice. How funny would it be if that was like the safety week report?
2: Well, and you know, and then I broke my saw stop. And mm-hmm. I just hear the phone ringing in the background. You hear Sam go, um, Matt, saw stops on the phone for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was a part of it that almost thought about that. I'm like, aha, now I've got something important to do. And then, yeah. When, and then it turns out when you read the instructions, mm, no. there's this little thing you need to do. It's
2: just <laughs> so. This was just my fault.
1: Those yes, exactly. Instructions. God, it's they a always mat- want us to
2: read those things, and there's nothing useful in them. Mm-hmm. They
1: need to just have picture versions. Forget all these word things. That's hard Seriously. to understand. It
2: works for IKEA. <laughs> there you go.
1: But anyway, so that was that was the big thing, and of course, we would have talked about that last week. But um, yeah. So, anyways, though. So, Ooh. what's going on with you, Mark? I'm turning like a fool. Oh, you are like right now, like a fool.
0: Yeah, right now, I'm spinning around. <laughs> you just can't hear, can't see it or hear it. Uh, yeah, I actually started to turn the column, the main post for this uh, tilt top table, and it's one of those. I mean, you guys do this too. You turn once in a while, but you don't. It's not like you're just a dedicated turner. Um, when you get into that world, we're a good one. We're <laughs> a good one. No, I don't think <laughs> any of us are a very good. <laughs> we just we get things slightly round, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's close. Uh, but yeah, you get into that world, and suddenly, as much as I I, I argue that I'm a utilitarian turner every time I do put something on the lathe, I can see the potential for getting lost in that world and just kind of like, okay, maybe I'll just do this for a couple months. You know, let see
2: what happens. You're not supposed to stare directly into the spinning spindle. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, but
0: yeah, so I, I actually, d- this time, decided to pick up those um, couple of easy wood tools. I picked up the easy rougher and the detailer and I just wanted to try it out. I mean, I have a, a set of traditional tools and in the video series, I went to someone else's shop to to see a demonstration of the um, more traditional style. So I figured, what the heck? Let's just try these easy wood tools, see what it, how it works, see if I like it. For the amount that I turn, it could actually get my butt on the lathe more often just because it, if it's fun or easier to use, why the heck not? Um, yeah. So yeah, I spent some quality time with them. I really I really enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't life changing, you know, the kind of like the way a lot of people seem to indicate it will be, um, (laughs) but it is convenient. It's going to do a lot of things, you know, like especially a lot of the initial work. But I did reach points where I was like, you know what, I got to pick up my, my bowl gouge. I use my super flute bowl gouge for a lot of things. Um, and there were just things where the detailer was too, um, excuse me, too fine, too sharp. And I needed to do things that were a little bit more of a blunt detail uh, that I just couldn't accomplish using the rougher, so I, I had to go and pick up my bowl gouge and, and just get the job done. So um but yeah
2: see I think the most to, to use your words, the most life changing tool is actually the finisher, the the rounder one. Is it? Um yeah, I found the detailer to be too like you just said, too fine a point.
1: Yeah. Um it really so it's too wants detailed to detail is what you're saying. It, it, yeah, so it's it too has detailed. We- yeah, it puts too fine of a detail on the point. That-
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, you can use it kind of like a parting gouge, but it doesn't have a flat edge to it. So you can't cut a tenon or anything with it. And it just that, that easy finisher, that was the thing that really changed it for me. Yeah. Because, you know, the rougher is, is great. It pulls wood off really, really fast. But being able to kind of blend the curves, if you've got you know an S curve or you know inside cove or even moving a bead around, it's kind of the skew chisel of Easy Wood Tools. It can do a lot of different things, hmm. and it's—pardon the pun—it's—it's it's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they should name it
0: that. T- yeah, TM. Um, so yeah, so I guess I'll have to pick up a third tool just to try it out. Um, but yeah, I actually was able to get quite a bit done because I did order one of the other profiles, the more uh the the more rounded profile for the rougher. Um I I wasn't clear to me and I went back to the website and I was like, is this just me or can I not determine which which cutter head comes with this tool? And and I, I have to go back and look again because I can't I don't see it anywhere. So I, I assumed it came with the square one. But it actually comes with the one that's just the first level of of radius to the edge. So so I wasn't able to get those nice crisp 90 degree corners and once again pulled out a skew chisel to to kind of square that up for myself. Um, but overall, I do think it's a it's a nice tool set. I think it's something that again, very user friendly, very quick to learn. But if you're already used to turning tools like traditional tools, it's actually a little bit of a learning curve to get used yeah. to these. Um, but then once you do it's 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 easy.
1: Nice. You know, along the lines of of the easy tools. And actually, that is something that I, I do want to pick up. I know, Shannon, you gave me some great advice on it. And now I'm getting some more from you, Mark, on which ones to go with. Mm-hmm. But um, somebody had sent me an email and people, you're going to have to forgive me that I forget who this is. Sometimes I forget the name of my own children. But uh, <laughs> somebody had mentioned actually taking the opportunity to make your own version of the easy tools. Yeah. And they were talking about, you know, like, just get some straight, you know, uh, steel t- uh, stock and then you can order the extra cutters and you can make it yourself. And I remember thinking, you know, several years ago, I would have been all over that. <laughs> yeah. And now... Uh, no way in the world because I know what I would end up creating, and I don't think there's enough duct tape that would be able to hold that steel <laughs> stock to an actual handle for me. So,
0: you know, someone uh, someone did say though that there is, oh, what the heck is it, Sorby or one of these other turning tool companies that's been around forever has a unit now that has just replaceable heads that you can do a very similar thing with that have almost negated, oh, yeah. like I mean, the this, whole this advantage. This not to a new it. idea. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, th- there's there's some some of the the little kind of metallurgical things and some of the the science and engineering that I think Easywood Tools has perfected, but Mm -hmm. this whole carbide, call it what it is, scraper idea has been around a long time. Um, I think the issue is, is it was always kind of blending the traditional turning tool where you have, you know, you, you drop the handle and you rub the bevel and you kind of have to present it in weird angles. The the thing that's made easy wood tools kind of on the map is it's just you just drop it on the tool rest flat, yeah. and you go in ninety degrees to the spindle. Yeah, it's no brainer. Um, but yeah, I've used a couple of those uh, Hunter hollowing tools. I had a Sorby, uh, I want to say Turnmaster or something like that. You know, with a replaceable cutter head. Right. Um, and now um, there there are actually knockoffs. I don't know whether a patent is expired or whatever, but <laughs> I think it's called Carbide Magic. I know Penn State has uh, a knockoff version of Easy Wood Tools. Son of a! Easy up. Wood Tools has has a <laughs> like a economy version. I think they're offering it just through wood turners through craft supplies. Mm. So yeah, there, there's a lot of options out there. So the um, you know Easy Wood Tools can be a bit expensive. So there are other options yeah, there too. Yeah,
0: that's I said it on Facebook, and a few people were like, "Well, these other companies have this. It's cheaper. It's one you know one tool with replaceable bodies and things like that." So. A um, lot of cool options there if you are into turning. There's uh, there's quite a bit to get into. Uh, the, really the take home message to that experience, anyone who's a guild member will see this. The cool thing though is when I went to visit Matt Monaco down in Phoenix and watch him turn, he did this entire spindle with a roughing gouge and a skew chisel. So yeah. so we can talk about tools all day long, but ultimately for turners if you really want to um, minimize things you don't have to have that many tools to get to get the job done. You just got to be good at using the ones you do have.
2: Yeah. Uh, Skew chisel is awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's jump into Around the Web. Shannon, you got the first two. Sure. The um, fine folks at Popular Woodworking have this build contest going on. And it's I guess the results are meant to coincide with woodworking in America this year. Hmm. But the idea is, is they want readers, the the audience, to submit projects that they've built. And there's a bunch of fine print rules. And I think it needs to be in the last year or something like that. And at WIA 2013, they're going to kind of show them off. Um, I don't know all the details, but I think if you submit something, it'll be kind of, well, it's in a slideshow or something like that. And they were going to uh, pick a winner. And that winner gets an all expenses paid trip to Woodworking in America in 2014. Nice. So nice. that's huge. I mean, depending on where you're coming from, that could be fifteen to $2,000 uh, worth of 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 goodness not that you don't have to pay for so yeah. i thought that was kind of cool and i like it anytime they do stuff like this i've been to conferences like this where they you know people always submit stuff and you can kind of judge it but then you know let's put our money where our mouth is and give somebody a really cool prize for winning totally it,
1: because yeah. I think back in 2011 was our good friend Tom Buell actually won kind of like a a, a viewer's choice kind of a oh. thing. There was a little bit of a contest going on, and right. it was hard to hear because the polka band was playing so hard back in the uh, <laughs> brew house there. But well, that is well uh,
0: deserved. Buell's yeah. stuff is is very well designed. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. unfortunately, I do remember him getting up there to thank everybody for the reward, and then the uh, noise just drowned him out. So we're like, all right, waitress.
0: And he's <laughs> he's fairly soft uh, soft spoken too, and when, yes. when you talk to him, so he's not. He doesn't seem like he's very loud. Um. Well. Cool. All right. Well. Ch- get on that. That's awesome. I want to enter because I want. I want to have an all-expense-paid trip. But I. They. They don't realize that I have to go by way of Hawaii to get to Ohio. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. So, Michigan to
2: Hawaii back you know, to Ohio. A, a one-week layover in Hawaii. <laughs>
0: Sorry, that's just the way we do it from Phoenix. I do you want me
2: to say? Well, I threw another one in here, and there's been um, a lot of talk lately about this Milkman's Workbench, and it showed up in Popular Woodworking Magazine this month uh, as one of their build articles. And I I admit, I'm kind of tempted to build it. Um, It's just a cool idea. I've had lots and lots and lots of people email me saying, what do I do? I live in an apartment. And I think a lot of hand tool school members who are um, Brooklyn apartment dwellers and things like that. Mm. and Maybe that's why they were drawn to hand tools. And it still comes down to, you know, I've got this tiny little space to do it. And there's been a lot of talk about it, but there's been very little let's watch and in action until, uh, of course, Schwarz posted a video. Um, and basically, it's only like two and a half minutes long, but it's well worth looking at. And you'll see this little bench and go, that's just cool. And in mm-hmm. my mind, I'm thinking, I could take woodworking on vacation. And my wife would hate me, but I could take it on vacation. So I'm seriously considered building it. I'll probably end up donating it to a local guild or something for, you know, they always do. Um, My local SAP from Troop always does demonstrations at Lee Nielsen events and things like that. So I don't know. It just looks like kind of a fun
1: little deal to build. It is cool looking, that's for sure. It was a part of me that when I saw that description of Milkman's workbench, all I keep thinking about is how my dad used to always say, you know, like, well, I think he's the Milkman's kid. So I was wondering I was if it was the like way. the legitimate <laughs> workbench of the workbench family. <laughs> it's not the workbench you think it is. Exactly. What does that workbench, workbench have red hair and none of us do? <laughs> oh, That's great. <laughs> Good All right, man. I've got a couple in here. Uh, one of them, uh, Eric sent a link to a video about Harvey Ward of Sydney, New York, who is titled The Last Shovel Maker. This kind of reminds me of the uh video that we had a while ago where the guy was like a buck fifty for that handle, and I'll take yeah. care of that for you. Dollar fifty. So, I don't know if you guys check this one out, but he makes these wooden shovels completely by hand i mean and he's an old guy too out there Mm -hmm. and uh it's just absolutely i ended up watching this and i remember thinking i want to do that that just looks amazing and it's all hand tools you know and and just the idea that he's out there doing this stuff you know he needs to sell a couple of them here and there and you can definitely tell he's had a rough life but it's a neat video very cool Cool.
0: i haven't seen it yet but i will check it out
1: well you need to check it out i will do that yeah put that on your list it's on it Okay, we'll do that so, right
2: now while Matt's talking.
1: Yeah, go. exactly. I will stall for this next one there should be plenty of time for you to go check that out. <laughs> Actually, no, cuz this is another good video. Uh Jim and a couple other people sent a, a very cool and amazing stop action creation of a turned segmented bowl. And this is really neat because it is literally it looks like the bowl is making itself the this woodworker really put a lot of work into the video and into the bowl also. Both are equally very very impressive and in fact the maker of this video oh my i don't have his name on here is the same guy that had like that monster video of his gigantic super monstrous bandsaw
0: oh same dude oh yeah right on yeah
1: so yeah like the one with like 64 inch wheels or something like that it was just insane so yeah so this is a really neat thing it's kind of fun to watch it's a little bit long but it is totally worth it and uh it made me wish that i could just walk down to my shop snap my fingers and go all right bull
0: Make yourself bull. Exactly. Hey, the, the Disney wood shop. <laughs> so when you
1: have a moment, yeah, I definitely recommend checking out both of these videos. They're a lot of fun.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, let's get into our kickback segment. I'll uh, I'll take these real quick. Uh, Nick had a comment about episode 130. He actually was the one who made mention of the scale for measuring out epoxy. And he said that we were right, uh, that the heart of the kid is nothing more than a small scale that can probably be had for a lot less if bought alone and then he uh, discusses the mix ratios. He says it's the same by weight as it is by volume for the faster hardeners, the 205 and 206, but the weight ratio seems to be different uh, than the volume for the really slow ones. The scale also has the instructions printed on it, which will be especially handy when years of breathing epoxy fumes degrades my ability to remember basic instructions or do simple math.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's not years of epoxy work that's going to do that for me.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, thanks for that, Nick. We appreciate it. And uh, Tom had a comment. He says, concerning the thin curve discussion in episode 130, if you have a calibrated rule on your fence rail that is traditionally set up for an eighth inch thick blade, changing to a thin curve blade changes that. Uh, if you will use, um, if you only use a thin curve, then it's a one time reset. But if you're going back and forth, the likelihood of being bitten is quite high. So that's a really good point. If you are switching to a thin curve blade, you got to think about
2: those things.
1: Definitely. sure. Point. You know what
2: I love about this kickback segment is the only thing I can think of is like a Comic Con. Because they always mention, you know, the episode. Ending. In episode 130,
0: <laughs> you mentioned. <laughs> you weren't supposed to do this, and the, the Klingons did not How do How do
1: you get out of the wizard's dungeon? Yes. it's Your your third word was is. Didn't you mean as? <laughs> it's awesome. I want more of that.
0: Uh, what's great is making fun of geeks when that's pretty much what we are.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's the pot calling the kettle black. All right, moving on to our voicemail. We've got a couple here. Uh, Chris has a question concerning a uh, restoration he's looking into doing.
3: Uh, my name is Chris from Concord, Massachusetts. And uh, first, thanks very much for the show. I love what you guys do. It's great to have it weekly as well. My question is all, uh, revolves around a restoration project that I'm doing. I've got turn-of-the-century uh, dining room table, and specifically I'm interested in one of the leafs of that table, which has both a cup and a twist in it it's about nineteen inches wide it's of mahogany it's a glue-up of two pieces uh, like a twelve inch piece and a seven inch piece and just wondering what i can do it's four-quarter stock so i don't think i can you know shave down the high points and make it flat again like, by going through a planer there's just not enough material just wondering if you have any other thoughts the glue line is starting to fail at one end of the glue up, and uh, I've considered ripping it on the table saw along the glue line and and uh, rejoining it, but I'm not sure that's going to address the the cupping or the uh, the twist problem. Thanks a lot for the show again, and uh, we'll keep listening. See you. All
0: right, thanks for the call, Chris. Um, a lot of this is going to be difficult because we're not there. Um, right. You know, it's one of those things, especially when you're trying to fix something that it really helps when you could see the results of your work. And he says he's already got a split glue line. I would think what he indicated as a possibility is probably the first route to go. If it, let's, let's also say if he doesn't mind doing something fairly destructive to this right. table, I'm sure it doesn't, you know, we talked about that before, about how far back you have to go before something truly has, you know, some sort of monetary value. But um, if he can split it right along that glue line, and square up that joint and then put it back together on a flat surface that would be my next question is what do you have at that point because um, right. who knows it may actually be straight enough he's probably never going to get it perfect but maybe that'll be good enough that once he glues it back together it'll approximate a flat surface you know right. um, I don't know for, for an old tabletop where you don't have much, much meat to work with what, what kind of things would you do to, to try and straighten it out
2: well, I'm assuming this is like one of those drop-in leaves where you extend it out and you drop the leaf in the middle to make the table longer. It's not like a drop leaf, in other words. Right, right. So it's it's captive, um, which could be useful. Um, and I actually saw a guy do this. There's a, a woodworker up in Lidditz, Pennsylvania that does a lot of restoration work. And it was the same situation where there's only so much he could thin it because it was already relatively thin. Mm-hmm. But since it's a tabletop and you're not going to see the underside, he was actually able to kind of block it out with – he used the same species, but obviously the color match wasn't quite there. But he was able to actually make it thicker um, by adding more stuff to the bottom, adding more wood to the bottom, kind of laminating it up. Um, that way when you have to plane down, say, one of the high corners in the twist – as long as you don't plane all the way through that original board, yeah, um, you've got the added thickness on the bottom. Nice. So, um, it, I mean, it's it's a lot more involved, but, I mean, this is mahogany we're talking about. If it's really, really old and it's like Cuban mahogany, I mean, there's just no way you're ever going to replace it. So, you know, take advantage of the fact that you won't see the bottom. And if, you, if the edge is exposed, then maybe you do... You know, some creative ripping in order to kind of band the edge or something. You're getting into some pretty heavy-duty surgery, though. So I would Damn. go with Mark's solution first. Let's just see I just happens. thought that was really cool. Yeah, kind of adding more to the bottom in order to plane out the twist and not end up with a you know three-eighths inch thick board.
0: That's a great idea. I like that. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I try. I'm it wasn't my idea, down. so that's why it's great. Thank you for sharing <laughs> it. Then uh, we've got another one here from MedTech Woodworker. The sometimes you know Skype, and I don't know if it's people's microphones or whatever. It tends to to sometimes cut people off, so it's a little tricky to understand everything in this one. But let's uh, let's have a listen. Hey, guys. Oh, wrong one. That was Roberto. Sorry.
3: <laughs> Hi, guys. Just a MedTech woodworker. I had a quick question. I just you seen Mark's day video on First aid Kids. And I've been trying to find for the longest time, uh, like a bucket that you're supposed to, in case you cut off a finger or a hand or something, you can throw it in there and, you know, it's kind of cold. And they will keep it cold enough in a good sustainable way that you, they can reattach it. Now, just as a deferral from anybody else who might want to try something similar, uh, never to just put your limb in plain water, because your body will just soak it up, and it—I mean the body part will soak it up, and then it will get one, and you can't reattach it anymore. So, anyhow, uh, see if you can yeah find that one. Thanks, bye.
0: There you go. All right, so he's looking for a... Hey, guys, how you doing? Oh,
1: Roberto, if you can wait your turn. Seriously.
0: Seriously,
2: Seriously, Roberto, I know you want to be on the show. Settle down, man. Relax. Um,
0: (laughs) All right. So he's looking for a bucket for his severed finger. And, you know, I don't know if. (laughs) And welcome to medical call. Uh, (laughs) The next caller, please. I don't know (laughs) of a particular bucket for that purpose. But if you're thinking that far ahead and you want to be that prepared, I would say just get yourself a little thermos. and then a uh, one of those like cold packs that you you could put in a first aid kit, um, and just drop the cold pack in there and put a, maybe a couple layers of paper towel between your severed finger or your other other severed limb, and, and put that on top of it, close it up, and head to the hospital. There you go. <laughs> you know, I don't know if there's a specific like box out there that he's talking about that that is for this, but why not just use like the the smallest thermos or even like a thermos that you like we used to take to to school as kids. Okay.
1: Maybe if you had one of those uh, uh, styrofoam coffee cups versus one of those environmentally friendly ones, it will hold the temperature nice so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Throw it in your I can't imagine cup. Like, suddenly like screaming like, bring the bucket. Bring the bucket! <laughs> Where's the <laughs> finger bucket? <laughs> I know I
0: put it over here somewhere. Well, Who's well, using Google. my finger
2: bucket? <laughs> Google doesn't find anything for
1: severed finger bucket. Sorry.
2: <laughs> well, there's a gap in the market, guys. Let's get on it.
0: Maybe you he's
1: think, thinking of finger bowls, <laughs> you know, like the type that you would have at the dinner table for a fancy dinner. Oh, there you go. Uh,
0: but he did have a good tip there. He said, don't put it in water. Uh, you don't want your, your severed finger to become waterlogged before you get to the hospital. So
1: that's that, that actually, you know, I would never even think about that. So that's 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 a really good one.
0: Well, you got to figure when you lose a body part, you're kind of not in the right mindset, you know? So it's like I could see why you would do like something ridiculous, like. I don't know, you put it in a, a, a box of shavings or something. You know? It's like you're just freaking out. There's blood everywhere. All right, that's terrible. Let's, oh, let's not well, talk as, about Well, <laughs> As
1: one who had a very close call, I just remember being concerned about, like, well, i got to turn the TV off, and then I have to go make dinner pot. before the kids get home because I don't want them to freak out and think something's happening. Oh, wait, should I change the kitty litter before I go, or why am I now laying on the floor? I don't understand what's mm, happening.
0: Taking too long, losing blood. All right, now, Roberto, you can ask your question.
1: Hey
3: guys, how are you doing? This is Roberto from Illinois. I have a question concerning shapers. A while back, I asked you guys the difference between a shaper and a router table, and you guys just pretty much, a shaper is a router table on steroids. And I wanted to know if there are any shapers out there that can be used, that that can use quarter inch and half inch collets. Because I know you can buy the, the heads through the shaper, but I wanted to know if there's any shapers out there that use those specific heads and regular router bitch shanks. All
0: right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Um, speaking of steroids, have you guys noticed that The Rock is really big again?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think he was using those for that new movie that he's coming out with, with Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And I was, that milk, there's a milk commercial that I saw him. I'm like, when did he turn into that guy again? He was like <laughs> a regular dude for a while. And now he's the Hulk again. When he became G.I. Joe. That's what I it is. It. He just wanted to be in G.I. Joe. What a jerk. Yeah. Anyway. Big Muscles. Um, all right, Roberto, shapers. Um, yeah, you can actually get uh, things that you can add on to a shaper to allow it to handle bits. Um, I will admittedly say I don't know anything about this, I don't have a shaper, but I just did a quick search, and um, one of the first ones I found was Powermatic has Powermatic branded adapters for half inch and quarter inch shank bits that you could put specifically in their uh shaper. So, I imagine this is a problem that lots of shaper. Uh, manufacturers have tackled, so I, I think that is a possibility for you.
1: Huh, interesting. I I actually, my my first gut instinct was no, but <laughs> boy was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it
0: seems it seems like you can now. I don't know what what impact that might have in terms of RPMs and how the bit is is spinning and and how that might affect a router bit since you know shapers and routers are definitely doing things a little bit differently. Um, so look into it before you commit, but it does seem like that's that's at least an option. So you don't have to you know you don't have to get rid of all your router bits. You could still use them, nice. hopefully. Um, all right, let's jump into email now. One thing I'm noticing is we get this trend of uh, sometimes we get a lot of the same questions, and sometimes we've answered those questions in the past. So we're going to try to be a little bit better about directing people to that information when we do have it. So one thing was a couple people asked questions about joiner planer combos. Uh, fairly straightforward questions and just kind of want to know our thoughts on them. This is something we actually talked about in episode 116, so we'll put the link in there for you, but it's called The One with the Flu. I think that's the one Shannon missed because he had the flu. (laughs) Um,
1: Or we just sounded so bad we blamed it on the flu. That's probably more like it.
2: We were delirious. I think think you had the flu
1: and you were loopy. Yeah, see, that's how bad you were. Don't don't blame blame this on me, it. (laughs) It,
0: It was. It was, but I don't think you were on the show. Why weren't you on?
2: Explain yourself. Of contracting it. Explain yeah, he yourself, to catch Shannon. Shits the flu through Skype.
0: That's what it is. Uh, but anyway, one sixteen, you can catch up on our thoughts on jointer planer combo machines. Uh, so let's get into our first email here. I've got one from Kurt. He says I'm thinking of building a crosscut sled for my table saw. I have the option of buying spare parts for my saw's manufacturer to use T rail slots. What comes with my miter gauge itself? The pro I see is that it'll be extra secure in the miter slots. The con is that the sled will not be able to be lifted out of the miter slots, even if I want to. and must be run out near, at the near or far edge. Uh, Would this lack of vertical movement pose a safety risk somehow in a way that I'm not able to determine? This is interesting because you know a lot of people have it seems like the smaller portable style saws tend to have those uh, miter slots where it's more of a a T-slot and it's not your standard like three quarter inch uh, miter slot that you have on the bigger saws. So this is something that uh, probably concerns a lot of people. Um, I don't see any particular safety risks. In fact, I think it's probably a little bit safer because it's not going to be able to come out of those slots, but it's just going to be a pain in the butt to remove. So I don't think safety is your concern. It's just convenience. So if, if it works for your saw, you can get, a hold of these extra parts, I, I think it's actually a pretty good idea. Personally,
2: yeah. yeah just just get another table saw and just leave that first one with the crosscut sled on it all the time. There you go. That's,
1: That's an amazing idea. I don't know why See? I did that one. That
2: is amazing. <laughs> all right, <Matt. laughs> all right. Hey, so I'm trying right, to get next... us table saw sponsors, guys. That's.
1: Mm. Well, you have, hold Matt's on. Got with this next question. <laughs> So this next one comes in from Mike and Mike's saying, I've got a two two car garage devoted to my shop, but one of the bays I use pretty regularly for auto maintenance. Well, Mike, get rid of it. There's your problem right there. Uh, So it's really a dual purpose setup since having a car in there often disassembled means limited floor space. I'm debating table saw options or if I really need one. I have a Festool track saw and a 17-inch bandsaw, but I'm still thinking it'd be nice to have something to make consistent long rips or cut smaller boards. What do you think about using one of the smaller job site saws, like the Bosch 4100 or a DeWalt 744? I can make a mount so it'll attach to my assembly table in the center of the space, so it gives it a bigger outfeed table, but can still tuck it under, out of the way when not in use. Are these saws worth it? Assuming I slap on a better blade given my situation, what do you do? Well, to be honest with you, I think you're already kind of saying that you use your Festool track saw probably more in your 17 inch bandsaw. You, you can use those rather easily for uh I'm, I'm really reading into this kind of a, a lot of the work that you're doing, Mike. And so it sounds to me like if you're just thinking, you know, just like one or two things that you would really want to do with the table saw. I really don't see an issue with it. I mean, when you're talking about limited space, you don't really have a lot of it, but yet you still want to have some usability. That's where, in my opinion, these little job site saws are perfectly fine, Mm -hmm. especially if you're going into it already thinking, okay, there might be limitations and you understand those limitations. Then in that case, I don't see any reason why using one would be wouldn't be a good thing for you. It's when you go into the the whole situation thinking, OK, I'm going to get this. It's going to do, you know, these hundred things on my list and I'm going to be able to make it expandable and I'll be able to do all these other things. That's when it's probably more of an issue. So would you say that's a psychological issue then? Maybe like <laughs> over anticipating what it could do.
0: <laughs> Possibly, yeah. You know, and in these days, a lot of people are down on a table saw. So probably now more than ever, you could find information on how to make a bandsaw do a lot of what a table saw does. Oh, um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Sure.
0: I mean, personally, I'm still not there yet. I do use the bandsaw a lot more than I used to for just general tasks, but I'm not quite at the point that I'm ready to get rid of a table saw. So for me, I'm still on the table saw train, but there are a lot of people who are dumping the table saw in favor of uh, other methods for for using the bandsaw. So that's that's a possibility. He may not need as powerful of a table saw to get those things done. Maybe some of the the smaller joinery things and Uh, cuts like miters and things that might be difficult at the bandsaw, he could still have a a less expensive uh, table saw there available to use.
1: Right. And and those smaller job site saws, compared to the one that I originally started with, um, they are a completely different creature. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be a lot of things now on those smaller ones that used to see like pretty much only on like a a little bit larger contractor size. So um, yeah, I think if you took your time and really found one that Fit your needs and maybe had a little bit expandability in the sense of being able to add a few extra accessories to it mm-hmm. some you know nicer accessories uh, I, I i don't see why not mike i think it's a, it's a great option if again in my opinion you're going in with this with without your blinders on you know exactly what you're going to get out of this and what your purpose is for using it
2: there you go cool, cool. well hey guys i've got some breaking news from the twitter sphere in relation to roberto's question okay um todd Clippinger out in montana actually has a three horsepower shop fox shaper boom and it does in fact accept router bits there you go. and i asked him kind of what's the performance like and he said no it works great you just have to make sure you adjust the speed accordingly <laughs> bits fly so, up in the air but it's fine it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: no problem at all
2: <laughs> as long as i have a <laughs> face sure shield on, <laughs> safety goggles and a kevlar suit so <laughs> there, go. there we go we we just crowdsourced that answer excellent so, thanks Thank a you, lot todd. todd for uh Piping in there from
1: Twitter.
0: Well done. Well done.
1: You're just lucky that I happened to, my phone actually beeped when it came through. (laughs) That must be what mine beeped for just now too. So let me check it. There you go. That's the one. (laughs) All right. right. So let's see. I'm supposed to talk here, right? Uh Yeah. Uh, Milo. Milo
2: sent us an email and he says he's been thinking, doing some thinking about bevel down planes. Let's say you have a 45 degree bedding angle and a bevel down configuration. If you were to sharpen the plane iron to 43 degrees because... Of the bed angle, the effective cutting angle would remain 45 degrees but would have much more meat behind the cutting edge mm. and it would hold an edge longer, yep. right? Am I correct in thinking this or am I missing the reason everyone sharpens at a much lower angle? You are missing <laughs> the reason <laughs> why. Um, this is going to be really hard to explain. Hopefully the email I sent Milo explained this a little bit better. But um, what he's saying with the the bevel down planes is – the actual bevel that you put on your blade doesn't affect the the cutting because um, the, the bed, the bed angle of the plane is what really determines that effective cutting angle. Mm-hmm. So the frog, for the most part, the frogs are usually at 45 degrees unless you've got a higher angle frog. That determines the angle which you're cutting. So what he thinks is if we lowered that, instead of having a 25-degree bevel, if you dropped the back of that bevel down to go to like 43 degrees – you would have a, a much more steel behind the cutting edge and it would last longer. There is an issue known as clearance angle when it comes to hand planes. And I I will admit that I don't fully understand it. I've never had anybody explain exactly what the tolerances are in a clearance angle, but essentially as you move a plane across the board, you're pressing down on the fibers and the blade itself, the cutting edge puts pressure onto the fibers down and in front of the cut as the cutting edge passes over the fibers, there's a little bit of spring back right behind the blade. And if your blade, the back of that bevel is really close to the blade, that spring back is actually going to lift the plane out of the cut and it's going to stop cutting. Now, how much you need, how much space you need, I don't know. But use a plane and make a couple of passes and pick it up and look at the bottom side and you'll see just a little bit of dust that accumulates behind the cutting edge where that little kind of spot where the sole and the blade meet behind the cutting edge. You'll see that dust in there. That is, that's is—that's part of what you're seeing, is material kind of being shoved up into that clearance angle behind it. So the idea, his idea of, of steepening that angle to add a little bit more meat behind it is essentially what we're doing with a micro bevel. Certainly micro bevels mean that you can sharpen much, much faster because you're only sharpening that little tiny bit on the end, but you're adding a steeper, higher angle to that which is essentially adding a little bit more meat behind the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. So um, there are probably some experiments that could be done to determine, you know, you only need five degrees of clearance angle and you could maybe toughen up the edge, but uh, I is got it better really, things to do. Is it
0: really <laughs> necessary though? Like unlike a chisel where you, you are doing a lot more harder chopping and you, if you have a very fragile edge, you're going to have a problem on a plane. I don't know when the last time was I looked at my plane and said, oh, look at that edge. It's all chewed up.
2: Right. Well, and that's just it, is the the dulling effect of a plain iron happens at such a microscopic level that has more to do with the size of the scratches left over by whatever the last abrasive you used. Mm-hmm. So if you used a 4,000 grit stone, those scratches are going to be deeper than if you used an 8,000 grit stone. And when those scratches intersect that cutting edge, essentially under, microsco- on a, under a microscope, it looks like a frayed edge. Mm-hmm. And the finer that Little frayed edge, the longer it's going to last before those little frayed sections kind of peel off and they become dull. So it happens on such a small level. Um, I, I don't think you would see that big of a of an issue. Right. So the way I see it, this is the way it's been done for hundreds and hundreds
1: of years. Don't mess I'm with it. Not really yeah. wanting to mess with it. Um, it's called tradition.
2: <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> tradition. <laughs> it's like a fiddler on the roof. Sorry. Yeah.
0: There you go. All right. Yeah, Got a question from Anne. And she says, "I'm currently working and managing a community-based wood shop. I've been struggling with uh, with the place of dado blade and non-through cuts on the table saw in our shop. I can't seem to find any riving knife splitter or safety guard that can be used in those situations without getting in the way of the cuts. Can you explain why this is? Also, can you make any suggestions, recommendations for any gadgets that increase safety during these cuts?" Um, well, that's a good question, and I think this is re- this is really like why. Dados are not legal in Europe, right? It's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the, here's the problem. Uh, when you think about something like a riving knife, what is that doing? Well, it's keeping your work from going into the back of the blade um, and it's doing it by lining itself up with the side of the blade that's between the fence and the blade itself. Well, what happens when you uh, assemble a dado stack? You have any varying number and if you've got those little um, uh, the little shims, you know, almost infinite possibilities of thicknesses. So you can't you can't have your uh, riving knife follow that exactly. It, this goes back to like the thin curve conversation that we had um, where if you go to a thin curve blade but you don't switch out your, um, your splitter, you're gonna have a little bit of an issue there. So same thing with the dado blade. You're chasing it constantly depending on what size dado you're cutting. Um, So really, the best thing you could do with dados to increase the safety is to use, like she said, gadgets. Um, Feather boards, of course, are always a good idea. There's a product out there called Board Buddies uh, and they're basically rollers that attach to your fence and put downward pressure, which with a dado blade is a really good idea because it's not just about keeping it against the fence, it's about keeping it from rising up from that uh, momentum of removing all that wood.
2: I had those. They're really cool.
0: Yeah, I had them too, yeah. and I, I just kind of, I think I lost one of the little attachment things and I stopped <laughs> using them, but they worked great. I don't know why I didn't, didn't get some new ones, um, but they work really well, especially sheet goods. You know, you're running a big piece, you can't necessarily put your hand pressure down near the fence. Well, it's nice to have something mechanical there that's helping you and also helping prevent it uh, from coming backwards. Right. Um, of course, uh, the gripper is a great addition to any table saw setup. And then even just your standard array of push sticks as long as it's the safe ones and the not so safe ones are you know to be avoided but um, there are other types of push shoes and blocks and things that you can use to increase the safety but um, there's really no magic sort of thing. This is why dados are, are generally considered a, a somewhat more dangerous cut um, and it's just the way it is unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it is hard to get a guard or a riving knife to, to work with that just the way it is.
1: I just need to create a better dado maker.
0: Yep, they call it a router. Oh, yeah, there's that,
1: too. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that would work. You're yeah, right. Okay, so we got this next one. Now, this is in from Chris, and he says, I know you've said in the past that you should always go for an 8-inch joiner over the 6-inch variety due to the width of boards we tend to mill. My problem is the space I have available for the machine. I'm in a garage workshop, and the space I want to use will really only fit a 6-inch joiner with the 46-inch beds. If I get an 8-inch joiner with 72-inch beds, I'll have to put it in the same space with a mobile base and then move it into position when I want to use it. See, the problem is I'm a lazy schlep. Now I know why you guys gave me this one. This makes total sense. <laughs> I thinking you could relate, Matt. <laughs> uh, I, I know if I have to move the machine to use it, I'll have a tendency to let something go because I don't feel like moving it. Do you, do you think this outweighs the pitfalls adjoining wider boards? <laughs> oh, Chris, Chris, Chris. Um, you know... I, I I'll be quite <laughs> honest with you. Um, you need to start moving, buddy. You got to get the blood. <laughs> yeah. moving. Yeah. Seriously, I, dude, come on. It's, yeah. It's I, I worth mean, it. If you, if you have this space that you can put it on a mobile base, um, you are going to be so much happier with doing this. And, and easy, even if you are being a lazy schlep, much like myself, we should get jackets because we have a, a whole group of us and we could probably amaze each other with our, our levels of laziness. Um, <laughs> I still think that if you have the money and you have the opportunity to get the eight inch, you will so much be happier. That didn't come out the right way. You'll be so much more (laughs) happier. (laughs) Much happier you will be. (laughs) Mm. I was uh, uh, trying to go the lazy way and just really shorten that sentence. Uh, (laughs) You'll be so much happier with it. And you may actually find that if you think about it, if you have the six inch, you're going to have to work just that much more. To get your your boards taken care of the right way, because you may have to rip mm. those wider boards into narrower boards. Right. now More you're doing work. twice 30 the seconds
2: work. It took for you to move the eight inch joiner
1: in place is kind of outweighed by the extra ten minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So so you, you uh, one way or the other, you're doing about the same amount of effort. So you go. do yourself a favor, and if if you can get the eight inch. Go with the 8-inch. You'll be so much happier, and you will actually find that uh, you will um, you know, still be just as lazy, but now you'll be an efficient lazy person. There you go.
2: Yeah, and what's to say you're going to be in that shop like 10 years from now?
1: Yeah, you know, or, or what's to victory? say that you know, suddenly you won't have a burst of inspiration and you set the laziness aside and become one of those people that I want to punch?
2: <laughs> all right <laughs> okay then Shannon oh, wait, th- where did that come from <laughs> let's deep see inside, here uh, Corey wrote us and he said my question has come about while trying to build a piece for the Popwood Readers Contest mm. hey that's the one we talked about I earlier. heard about that yeah mm. you heard it here I heard that on well, the latest Wood Talk hmm yeah I have chosen to build a bookcase I did a quick sketch up but I feel like even with prior drawings and plans I can't get the proportions right I feel the shelves are too clunky And I'm a hobbyist, and I really don't have the money or desire to make mock-ups out of cheaper wood to dial everything in. What do you guys do when building a new piece? Is this just an inevitable truth about furniture building and building mock-ups to bring everything together? I'm so glad to hear somebody finally say this because, no, I don't build mock-ups. What's a (laughs) mock-up? Yeah, I, I think the
1: the one mock-up I had was when I accidentally brought my mocha down and I mis mispronounced it. <laughs> right.
2: Where's my mock-up? You know, I, I think it's noble and I know I do know people that do it and that's so cool that they can refine it like that, but uh, man, I don't have the patience to do that. Speaking of being a lazy schlep. Um, <laughs> lazy. And, and frankly, I mean, that is one of the things that I do use SketchUp for. I don't really spend any time in SketchUp you know, doing joinery or any of that type of stuff. It's more just about, did I get these uh, proportions right? And it it is one of those things where if you're having trouble doing it in SketchUp, then I would consider a full size drawing. Um, But first I'm going to take a squeaky toy and throw it out in the hall. So it's not squeaking right here next to the microphone. Alex, (laughs) Get control of yourself, son. And then I'm going to close the door so that he can stay out in the hall and whine. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had instances where I've just needed to draw it out, you know, grab a sheet of plywood and draw it out full size and kind of mess around with it that way. Mm -hmm. And if you still can't get it, then well, come on, son, (laughs) get on it. Well, I mean, he's the way he describes it.
0: He's identified some of the problem here. He says, I feel the shelves are too clunky. Well, what would you do if your shelves are too clunky?
1: You're exactly. Probably
0: going to reduce them down, thin them down you know, thin them down. or so so he I mean, it sounds like he might be giving up a little bit early in this process because a lot of times I'll design something and I can't really get a good feel for it. Like I, I look at it, I go, "Well, I'm not 100 percent sure I'm going to leave this for a day." And then yeah. 24 hours later, go back to it with a fresh set of eyes, and suddenly I might be able to see something that I didn't see before. Um, right. And I'll do what you said, Shannon, the same thing. And I'm not much of a mock-up uh, person either, but at the same time, I'm not building like the next Jeff Miller chair, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, um, I'm not hanging my my reputation on on the design of the next project that I'm making. Someday, maybe, like if I, if I feel like, you know, the, the, the actual work itself justifies that at some point, maybe I'll do that, but I'm just not there yet. Um, and if I have time, if there is something that's a fairly complicated part of a build, yeah, if you've got time to do it, mock-ups are great. Um, they answer so many questions that you just can't do with even 3D software. But um, right. what,
2: what I think you should do is take a sketch of drawing and make the shelves even thicker and then come back two days later and I'll go, man, those are really thick and I'll just thin them down. It'll end up at the same size he's at now. And he'll just like but it. But they'll <laughs> just look so much better. <laughs> those are much better, yeah. yeah. There you go. Change. That's the
1: b- an awesome idea. I don't I want like to think about God, that.
2: I'm, I'm on today. What can I say? Um, but yeah,
0: see, and then just play with the sketchup a little bit more because I think you you can tell quite a bit Uh, in that space about what looks good and what doesn't and also if you get a chance um, check out uh, what's his name's blog Design Matters Um, George Walker George Walker Walker, Walker, and his DVD on design uh, we reviewed it on the review show very, very good. If all you walk away from that with is the understanding of how to utilize proportions in designing mm-hmm. things, if part of your problem is the shelves aren't too big, well, you need to look at other aspects of the the overall size of this piece to determine what ratio makes the most sense. And when you're talking about shelves, too, that's that's another red flag because shelves generally, in the world of woodworking, there's just not that many variations that you can have with a shelf. Right. Uh, yeah. In most cases, you're looking at a three-quarter inch shelf or one that maybe has a face frame, so it's going to appear as an uh, inch and a half, or it's something that's a little off the wall, but there's really only a couple options there. So, um, you know, but anyway, knowing how to work with these proportions, I think, is going to help you uh, greatly in at least just making it make some visual sense, and then you could refine it from there. Right. Well, I you think know, and, the and, real
2: key is if Corey builds this for the Wood the Readers contest and he wins, we. The three of us should get a cut. Oh yes.
0: Well, he can <laughs> buy us. Like uh, he can buy us a grape soda at the 2014 Woodworking in America. How about that?
2: There we go. That
0: works. That sounds awesome. <laughs> oh, you know what? We're going to get into our iTunes reviews, but I figure we may as well mention a little bit of what we're tossing around. Are you guys comfortable saying something about it, even though it's not a fully formed idea yet?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm totally good with it. We're we're coming out with sure. our own brand of grape soda. Yes,
0: we are. We're of, very. Proud. It's going to be awesome. It's I'm, quite. I'm uh, composing a jingle right now. It's quite bubbly. Uh, we are thinking about having a after-hours event at Woodworking in America. Um, it will basically be, I don't know, whatever the best night is, and we're going to hopefully rent out a room somewhere and maybe do a live show and just have some drinks and some, uh, I don't know, hot wings. What do you eat? Yeah. Like that? Some hot wings. We'll be all like slathered up with some sweet vinegar. Yeah, and there'll sauce. be food for you guys
2: too. That's right. You can just watch <laughs> us eat the whole time.
0: Um, but yeah, so we're thinking about having something like that. We just have to get... I think ultimately feedback on this would be great because not that we really even want people to like RSVP but like somehow a virtual show of hands of how many people might be interested will will greatly assist us in figuring out how big of a place we need to get to to be able to pull this off. So we're hoping to do a live thing like what we do here but this will be the first time all three of us are in the same place at the same time so we absolutely need to hit the record button <laughs> to make that happen. <laughs> yeah,
3: no don't
0: care. We
1: won't know how to talk to each other without a Skype delay though. Maybe we should put up blinders in between us. <laughs> there you go. So that way, you know, we we really won't mess with each other. I like that <laughs> idea. Um, so if, if you're going to be at woodworking in America, you think this is a good
0: idea? Let us know about it. Um, leave a, a, a thing. What do you call those things? Comments. Yeah, leave Comment, one of those. Um,
1: an email, a voicemail. Voicemail. Uh,
0: yeah, let us know. But we, we think it'll be fun because a lot of times at night everybody just kind of gathers in one place anyway, and this will this could be very well like a catch-all thing for everybody who's going just <laughs> come and hang out.
2: Exactly. Right. We'll make sure that there,
1: are, there are a trolley is running at all hours. Yes. To that, right. whatever that this, venue this is. This may, this may save some of us from potentially getting in trouble with mm-hmm. the trolley. So <laughs> I go. think we'll be okay.
0: All right. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. Let us know about that. So iTunes reviews. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, just look us up in the iTunes store. Click on that ratings and reviews tab and uh, tell Matt. Oh, I didn't write anything down. Uh, tell Matt how much. Oh, oh, I I can't think of anything funny. Darn it. <laughs> Tell Matt how much of a lazy of that you are. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Tell
2: Matt how lazy he is. Submit your, oh, your application for the lazy schlep bowling team. <laughs> there you go.
1: We, we may have a couch for you to lay down at at the live event if you're going to be a woodworking in America for your laziness. There you go.
0: <laughs> all right. So, special thanks to Daigle Woodworks, who did leave us a five star review. He says, Five grape sodas. This is the best woodworking podcast out there. Mark, Matt, and Shannon answer all your questions thoroughly and throw in some humor. I've listened to every one of their podcasts. Love the show. Look forward to every Wednesday night. Keep up the great work. And uh, also a quick reminder that today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com. And I should mention, do you guys see the new TS, the new version of the TS-55 the REQ? Yes. Badass, man. Badass. <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah.
1: It was it was mighty slick. I do have to admit, I found myself going, I think I need one.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's not it's not like the... You know, uh, it's a life-changing difference between the t s fifty five. It's the new version of the t s fifty five so it's you know incremental upgrades compared to the last one, but very, very nice, nice tool
1: and has sleek lines and it's fast. it's sporty. It is it's so something choice. Like on the Audubon.
0: I highly recommend it. Um all right. let's move on to recurring donations. I would' like to thank Benjamin and Tim, who helped us out. and if you'd like to help us out, you can go to woodtalkshow.com in the left hand column you'll see a couple of links for little donation buttons you could do a recurring donation for a very small amount of beans per month or uh you could just do a one time donation and we we really appreciate it it helps us uh helps us keep talking to you every wednesday except for last wednesday which uh i'll take the heat for that one my bad well well, well
1: thanks that's that's awesome that you took that off of me because <laughs> i was starting to get those hate emails and i'm like i'm sorry some people All got i angry. can say is i was here i had skype up i was ready i was very lonely and then
2: Mark texts me through Skype saying, Oh, by the way, actually what happened was Shannon goes, Oh, thank God.
0: It was, it, he's like, it's Pretty so much. nice out. I want to go out and, and drink a mint julep on the porch or whatever you drink out a there. Mint julep, nice. <laughs> it was just too
2: nice. He's out there with I his say, big... I say, I say I want to go drink a mint julep.
0: He's out there
1: with his big buckles and he was actually using his, uh, his, his twig lathe from his next door neighbor. Who's like, Shannon, get out of our yard. Enough of this. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's too funny. All right. Um, yeah, Matt, how about you give them that contact info? And you know what? If you guys are free, we'll stick around for a little after after show late night because we're already recording this much later than usual. So uh, we'll hang All out. All right.
1: Well, hey, yeah. Folks, if you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Uh, if you're like Roberto, please wait your turn. Quit trying to interrupt on the last other two conversations. (laughs) Uh, Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And don't forget, if you're ever looking for the show notes or the downloads from today's shows or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And we will try our hardest to actually put in links that we talk about in the show. Because oftentimes, as soon as we're done here, it's a blank slate. I haven't got a clue (laughs) that I even got done recording a show. So So, true. uh, very apologetic about that.
0: There you go. Alright, well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh just remember,
1: we love you. Most of the time. Sometimes, sometimes. When Once you're in a when while. you're nice it to depends us. Depends on what you make me for lunch.
0: Mm-hmm. Delicious. All right. See you later, guys. See ya. Bye. This
2: podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogtense.com. Audio program's so
3: good, it's like you're there.